11. We are continuing our study of parables, a study we hope has been beneficial for you as it has been for us. Uh, this study began uh, last month, uh, or actually I believe it began back in August, and we started with a series of sermons. Uh, we each preached on one parable, and since that time we've been discussing parables in this format. And tonight we're going to turn our attention to a, a short parable that appears in the 11th chapter of Luke. We will continue this series of studies on the parables this week and the next two weeks. Um, October 30th we'll have a uh, what we intend to be a, a prayer and singing night, and then in November we're going to return to a series of sermons that will be on a new subject. Uh, but we want, we're grateful you continue to study with us on the parables. I want to begin tonight by reading the, the entirety of, of Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 13. But the parable itself really only sits uh, between verses and uh, verse 8. But we're going to get the entire context here as we read, and then we will discuss it. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his I, I always struggle with pronouncing this word. We're just going to say persistence because that's a better translation. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? As we have done with each of these parables, we want to start off by asking, what's the context here? What is the context of this parable? And so guys, I'm going to open it up to you. What do you see as the, the context of this particular parable? Well, you see in, in verse 1, Um, we see in verse 1 that the apostles are asking, okay, teach us to pray, Jesus. And so Jesus, this is a direct response into this, this, uh, this question of more of a how, right? And so in verses 2 through 4, Jesus an starts this, this, his answer with more of a how or in, um, with this, uh, an image of a prayer, this idea of a prayer here in verses 2 through 4. But then in verse 5, that what, I, what I think prompts this parable is then Jesus goes into more of a why. And, and that sometimes that's the best motivator to prayer is when you get a why type answer. And the why here is that, well, God will answer these prayers. And so I think the main, one of the main purposes Jesus responds with this very unique, uh, this parable, is it tells the apostles that their words, these prayers will not fall de on deaf ears. These words will not be emptied or not unheard or not unanswered. 
because, like a friend or being persistent, knocking at the door, the father will listen. And then the second kind of half of that parable, verses 10 through 13, about a father giving good gifts, right? It's, it goes back into more of that why. Why do we pray? Because God is listening. God will answer that door. Why do we pray? Teach us to pray. Because God will hear our prayers and will respond like a good father. So I think that's maybe just to start to kick it off. That's one of the first reasons I see Christ gives us response. I see verses 1 through 4 as, as kind of the context of what is leading up towards this parable. And as Jay was saying in verse 1, I find it interesting. Uh, the very beginning talks about, now when it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, the disciple asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I, I love the thought of, of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Time and time again, they find him going to a particular place to pray as was his custom, a lot of the writers say, that it was his custom to go to a certain place and pray. And I also love the thought of, of when Jesus had ceased. Uh, to, to me, that's, that indicates some portion of time. Uh, Jesus had been praying in this certain place for, for a, a certain portion of time, whether that was a, a very long time or... or you know, not as long of a time. You know, if you look at the context of when uh, the, the Lord's Prayer here uh, in verses 2 through 4, if you look at the context in Matthew, it's, it's right after uh, he says, do not have vain repetitions. Uh, it's, it's right after he says, do not loft up empty words to, to God. And so if, if you look at it in this context, though, I, I think it's interesting. He's, he's been asked by a disciple, how do you pray? And I think it's because that disciple was able to witness that Jesus prayed differently. Jesus' prayers were different than any other person he had ever heard before. I do know that, that when it comes to rabbis, that the rabbi would teach their disciples how to pray. That's why he mentions John the Baptist uh, and how he taught his disciples, his followers, how to pray. So there's some indication there. But I think more so than just he was their rabbi, I believe this person understood that Jesus was different. When it came to what the way Jesus prayed, he was different. It wasn't vain. It, it, instead, it was meaningful. It was, it was thoughtful. It was reverent in a way that he probably had not heard before. So he was compelled to ask, how do you do that? That's at least what I believe about this disciple. And uh, in my life, I, I've heard many people that would say prayers that were just different. There had a certain level of, of meaning to them, a, a certain level of depth to them that it made me wonder, how does he do that? How do they do that? And it's not because of their words or, or, or perhaps uh, the length of the prayer, but you can know that that person has a deep relationship with God based on how they pray. And so I've been pushed to the point in my life of wanting the relationship with God that that person must have. If they can pray that thoughtful, if they can pray that meaningful. And again, this isn't about words. It's, it's not about how, how long someone can pray. This is a, you, you know it when you hear it. A lot of you are nodding your heads because you know what I'm talking about. Some people have the connection to God that you aspire for, that you aspire to. And I think Jesus 
is one of those instances here. Where this disciple wants the same connection with God that he just witnessed Jesus have. Because Jesus had been praying in this certain place for, for a, a, a period of time, and he was able to witness Jesus pray, and so he says, I want to know how to do that. I want to know what it takes to pray the way Jesus does. And so I think when it comes to Jesus and his prayers, we see all throughout the Gospels that he sets an example of how to pray. But I think ultimately when we look at this parable, that's the question we need to ask. Because Jesus obviously, obviously had the connection to the Father that perhaps none of us can have since he was in eternity with his Father. And so the way Jesus talked to the Father, you can read all throughout the Gospels, especially in John chapter 17, the way Jesus talked to his Father is the way we all should aspire to talk to our Father. And so I think that's, that's the context of, of this parable is, is this man is not only wanting to know how to be a good disciple of Jesus, but he's wanting to be like Jesus. He's wanting to pray like Jesus prayed. And I think we ought to have the same exact intention tonight as we look at the parable. Okay, um, probably um, these disciples didn't know about prayer that Jesus was praying. So the disciples asking, let us know to pray, not exactly how to pray, what to pray, or why to pray. And he gave this short prayer as a model, uh, verses one through four, I mean, uh, two through four. But here, probably the disciples didn't know what does it mean? I mean, what is the basis of the prayer? And what is the thing that we have to pray for? So in the parables, I believe, uh, Jesus gives us the basis of the prayer, the reason uh, you know, why we have to pray, and then he also gives us the answer that what we have to pray for. So uh, I think uh, this is the first and um, first instruction for the disciples about prayer. So we also need to learn those things from this parable. So obviously the, well, as my voice cracks, <laughs> obviously the, this parable is built off of this question the disciple asks in verse 1, and uh, ben and Jay and, and Mingu have done a great job of elaborating on that. As I kind of looked at this, I got four, I, my mind went back to chapter 10 for a little bit. And if you look at the story that ends chapter 10, it's, it's the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus went to visit them at their house. And it was fascinating to me because in that story, and, and you can see it in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, you have Mary being commended because she prioritized spending time with the Lord over the busyness of life. And, and make, it made me wonder, is, it, is this, I don't necessarily know that um, Jesus' teaching here is directly connected to that story. It may be more of Luke's placement of the events in his chronology. But I see this correlation. Here we have this moment in time where, where Mary is being held up as an example of someone who's prioritizing their time with God. And now Jesus himself 
prioritizes his time with the Father, and that causes this disciple to go, hey, we need to learn more about this. Will you teach us to pray? And that launches us into uh, the, the model prayer, uh, and then into the parable about uh, this friend who shows up at his neighbor's house at midnight, and then into this discussion about asking, seeking, and knocking. And so I, I wonder if there could be some correlation there. I find it interesting that Mary, uh, Mary's story and her commendation appears right before this. And so we have some context now. Let's dive into this parable and then its application with the ask, seek, knock terminology. Uh, and obviously, we've highlighted that this parable has something to do with prayer. What does this parable teach us ultimately about prayer? Well, if I could real quick go back to the context, and okay. it'll lead back into my answer, I promise. Um, I've also found it interesting, kind of just another layer of context, that two stories leading up to chapter 11, pr prayer is an amazing part of the narrative. Chapter 10, uh, no, chapter 9 and verse 16, right before Jesus feeds the 5,000, what does he do? He blesses the, the five loaves and the two fish. And then he does this amazing miracle. And then right after that, uh, chapter 9 and verses 28 through the end of the chapter almost, you have the transfiguration. And while, verse 29, he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. So we have these two amazing instances right before um, the apostles finally to say, okay, teach, show us what's going on. Teach us to pray. Right before he, he multiplies food to feed 5,000 or more, right before his face you know, starts gleaming bright and Elijah and Moses show up, we have these instances where prayer is invoked. And I don't think the apostles are thinking this is some magic trick, but I do think they're starting to say, okay, this, prayer, this thing called prayer is powerful. This, this tool of prayer that Jesus is calling upon is something that he is doing a lot. And then like, ben, like, like you said, and then right before they ask this, what is he doing? He's sitting in a time of prayer. And so I think that, lead, that all leads up to the apostles finally just having the, the, uh, the courage to say, okay, Jesus, teach us to pray. We see that you're doing it. We're seeing you're doing amazing things with it. Teach us to do that. And then quickly, uh, one of the, one of the, the first things I, I learned about this, I think this was already touched on, is just how short this prayer is. This is a very short prayer. You can almost say it in one breath. And I love the simplicity of that. I think I, I grew up and I heard the powerful prayers here, you know, um, my home congregation. And, and as amazing as those were and, and, and as, as full of wisdom as they were, I think it tricked me into thinking, okay, I'm not good at praying because I don't have that same vocabulary. I'm not good at praying because I don't feel like I can go as long or be as eloquent. And it wasn't until I had a Bible teacher in high school who, um, who was my mentor. I really looked up to him. And we went out to lunch one day. And this, this man, I just learned so much Bible knowledge from. And right before we prayed, he did a prayer that pretty much said, Dear, dear God, we really thank you for this food. We're going to pray this in your son's name. Amen. And I just thought, well, that's not good enough. You can't say a prayer that short. And so he kind of challenged me on that. And that was just a teachable moment for me that realized going back, to, you know, harkening all the way back to here, it's not about the, the technique. It, it, it's the presence of prayer itself. A, a powerful prayer can be a short prayer. And that's not to say we shouldn't spend a long time in prayer as well. But that's one of the first things I pick up in this parable is just that a, a, the simple, powerful, pointed, intentional prayer is just as powerful. I think uh, for us to kind of understand specifically about the parable of 5 through 8, let's remind each other the example, that, the, the illustration that Jesus gives. He, he shows this friend of, of this neighbor, he's showing up to his house at midnight. 
And he's frantic. He's saying, there, there are some people who dropped in. I have no way to feed them. Please give me some loaves that I can feed them. It's midnight. You know, I, I think there's something I'm going to touch on in a second about that. The, 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 the timing of this thing. Is this friend shows up to this, this other friend's house at midnight. Please help me feed these people that have dropped by. I will be a terrible host. Uh, they're hungry. They've been on a long journey. Please help me feed them. And, and the friend is like, it's midnight. Like, my kids are in bed. It, it's too late for this request. You should have come earlier. Uh, if you would have come earlier, I, I would have given that bread to you. It's just too late. And then because, ultimately, he is the person's friend, it says, after his persistence, then the friend says, okay, come on, come on, come on in, I'll give you the bread. And so there's the illustration that Jesus gives, and I think, ultimately, what this teaches us about prayer is that, first of all, we're almost all like that friend coming at midnight, where we've come way too late in the game to ask for such requests. We, 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 we've shown up to God with this request way too late. We should have been praying about it, should have been asking for it, should have been knocking for it, uh, sh- should have been doing all uh, the seeking for it way before we wound up doing it. But because we are in a, a hard time, because we have found ourselves in a bad spot, then we'll go to God. Then we'll go to God in prayer and, and ask Him to save us from this situation. And so I think initially what this teaches us about prayer is prayer, prayer is, not, is not the same as sending a list to the North Pole. It, we're, we're not dealing with Santa Claus here. Prayer is, is not a, a, a wish list of things that you just send off at your own leisure and, and you'll just get back everything that you ask for. Sometimes we treat God that way. And so this friend, even though it, 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 this person should have come earlier, even though it was late at night, even though he wasn't even feeding the friend, he was feeding the friends of the friend, after the persistence, he finally gives his friend the bread. Because he saw the desperation in his friend's face, uh, he says, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the bread. And so what I think, again, another thing that this teaches us about prayer is that we need to remember who we're talking to. God is the person, ultimately, that we are praying to. And I think, ultimately, the lesson from this parable, verses 5 through 8, is God is not like a friend. Whoa. God's not a friend? I thought uh, God was my friend, and, and, and He was the best friend I could possibly have. I think... Ultimately, the lesson is, no, he's not your friend. He's greater than any friend could ever be. Because instead of a friend, he is a father. He's not a friend in that he picks and chooses when he's going to help out. And, and, and if you beg enough, if you'll just beg me enough, then I'll give it to you. He's not a friend in, in that aspect. He's a father. And that's what he's going to talk about in verses 9 through 13 and what we're going to get to in a minute. He's not a friend. He is a father. He is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are or, or how religiously elite you are or how old you are or whatever the case might be. If you are his child, 
then He is going to treat you as His child. As a father would treat His child. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But that's, ulti- that's what this means about prayer to me. Uh, the word uh, translated into imprudence in uh, verse 8, I think it is a key word in this parable. Uh, it is shamelessness or insolence, and rarely uh, translated into persistence. So persistence also uh, uh, can be you know, related with insolence or imprudence or shamelessness because the, the person is shameless he can persistently ask for something so uh, this idea gives us the base a basic uh, concept here why God answers our prayer so Jesus is uh, giving us the reason why God answers our prayers it is not because we are his friends, obviously. It is not because we are righteous, obviously. It is not because we are sin- sinless, obviously, but for his name's sake. But because his righteousness sake. But because he is our father, he is God almighty. This is the basis and the foundation of the prayer. How can we pray to God? Even though we are not righteous, we are not perfect, we are not sinless, how can we expect God to answer our prayers and give good things to us? Not because of us, but because of Him and His righteousness and His godliness and His you know, love and mercy. And I think Jesus is giving us the, the, the answer here that you can pray even though you are a shameless person, even though you are a sinful person. If you believe you can get a, if you believe God is good, you can pray. So I think uh, the parable the, the greatest lesson uh, it gives is that the basis of our prayer is not us, it's God. I do think it also, because that word does get translated persistence in several translations, uh, it speaks to a boldness as well. There's an audacity about audacity, it. Audacity, yeah. And, and also a, a continuance uh, to it. Uh, the fact that, that it's uh, being repeated over and over again. There's a parallel parable, and, and we might even address it at some point in this series, I'm not sure. But if you go over to Luke chapter 18, there's the parable of the persistent widow that has a similar message. And actually the thesis of the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 is that you should ought to always pray and not lose heart. There is an element of... of, of prayer being something that you continue on and on. And, and one thing that's alluded to in, in this parable of the friend at midnight is that the one reason that the, uh, the homeowner uh, fulfilled his request is because the guy wouldn't give up. He kept knocking. He kept asking. And 
you can see that language of being bothered by it. The, the homeowner is actually agitated and bothered that someone's knocking at his door and won't stop. And so it, he gets up not because he's his friend. He gets up because he wants it to stop. And, and I don't think that's communicating anything about God to us, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But, but the idea that this guy won't give up, it's consistent with other teaching in Scripture. First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, be constant in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, pray at all times. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, be steadfast in prayer. There is this teaching throughout the New Testament that, that prayer is something we continuously participate in. And I, as Jay was talking about how prayers don't have to be long and drawn out and uh, verbose, they can be simple, they can be short, they can be to the point. And being constant in prayer doesn't mean I have to have these long, lengthy prayers all the time. It can be that I'm just constantly in communication with the Father. And I think that's a lesson we can also glean, something we learn about prayer from this parable. But we don't just learn about prayer here. We also learn about God, and, and that's something Ben was alluding to and Mingu was alluding to. Um, and, and if you have any other comments you want to say about what this parable teaches us on prayer, feel free to address that. But let's also address what this parable teaches us about God. What do you think this parable teaches about God? I think, uh, like Mingu was trying to say earlier, about how these disciples didn't understand prayer, I think these disciples also didn't understand God. Uh, they saw God as, like we were talking a little bit earlier, someone that you uh, persistently bring uh, petitions to, uh, or perhaps, like Santa Claus, you give this list of things, and he'll choose which one you get and which one you don't, and he'll just you know, withhold because he can and, and because he, is just, he just chooses what he wants to do. I think that's how they understood God, and I think that's how we often understand God. But the parable teaches a different God completely. Look what it says in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened to you. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I know we just re- we've, we've already read that, but I'm just trying to remind us what this says about God. Again, it says that God is not like the friend that just dangles this loaf of bread over you, and if you beg enough, if, if you knock enough, if you bang on my door enough, Fine, I'll give it to you. That's not God. Instead, when you knock, God will open the door. When you ask, God will give. When you seek, you will find. That's God. Because why? Well, because He's our Father. And He gives the illustration, what father among you would give your, your, your son a serpent when he asked for a fish? If you know how to treat your children, how much more so can God treat His children? Because God is the ultimate Father. 
He doesn't pick and choose when He gives us blessings. He's not just dangling all of these blessings and giving it out every now and then to just keep us on the line, to just keep us faithful along the way. God is a Father who is trying to dump all the blessings and all the goodness and all the good things He can possibly give us. That's the God that we see in verses 9-13. through And that's often what we don't see when we look at God. So when we look at God, do we see Him as verses 5-8 through as this guy who's just, you know, picking and choosing when He's going to love us? Picking and choosing when He's going to give things to us? Or do we see God as as the God of of verses 9-13 through that loves His children enough to dump all the possible things He can give to His children. I think that's what Jesus is trying to change the perspective of these disciples by saying that the the God that you think you know, He's not like that at all. If you want to pray like me, you've got to first understand who you're praying to. And it's not a person who picks and chooses or is a respecter of persons. Instead, He's a God, He's a Father who gives and gives to whoever asks, answers to whoever knocks, and gives uh, the understanding to those who seek. So I think that's what we can learn about God through verses 9 through 13. Um, that God is always the God. I mean, that God was always there and did the same thing, even uh, from the uh, from the you know, uh, creation. And uh, um, let me just read uh, Psalm 106, verses 7 and 8. I mean, everything is because of him, because his character, because of his, his heart, because, he, because of his, uh, you know, uh, mercy. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled against the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. And then again in the New Testament also, how, how, how we were saved. Okay, uh, you know Romans chapter 3. It says, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, obviously uh, repeats that idea. What is the basis of our salvation, basis of our, uh, you know, avenue of prayer? Uh, verse 25 says, Romans chapter 3, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So every, everything that Christians have is based on God's character, his righteousness his mercy and love. And the prayer is also based on that God 
and his character. And like Brother Ben said, you know, we have to understand that. God is willing to give us good things. That's why we pray. God is ready to give us good things. That's why we pray, because we believe in God, because we are his children, even though we are not perfect. If we ask him to give us good things, he gives us good things. Yeah, what I learned from this when it comes to what I learned about the Heavenly Father is, is when I pray with passion and persistence, my God is a God that will answer those prayers. And I think those two words are pretty key in what we learn from this as well, in the sense that we have to have passion and persistence. And when we do, and when our prayers align with the will of God, He is a good Father and is not going to trick us with something else. He is a good Father and He's not going to leave us hanging there. But when we are passionate and persistent and follow His will with what we're asking, then there's no doubt that's asking, seeking, and knocking. When we do that, then He will answer that. And I think it's important passion and persistence because if you're just passionate, Okay, if you're just passionate but you're not persistent, then does that really show a great need in your life? Anybody for any moment can be really passionate for one moment. Lord, I need your help. Please help me in this moment. And you really fall on your knees and maybe you even pour out your emotions for that one moment. And then you get up and you don't think about it again. Does that really show a mature spirit of an urgency of need? You know, it, it means that maybe you're overcome with emotions for a moment, but as soon as that prayer was instantly answered, as soon as that need was washed away or went by, and you weren't persistent in that, then maybe that didn't show that you really recognized the need if you only prayed for that that one time. But if you lack your passion and you're persistent, then that's when it becomes vain repetitions, right? If we have no heart in it and we're just saying these repetitious prayers over and over again, please help me, Lord, please help me, Lord, but we don't really mean it, then that also shows a lack of maturation in our spiritual life. But when we are passionate, matched with persistent in our prayers, then we have the confidence when we ask, seek, and knock, that we serve a God that will answer that. Our persistent doesn't change his heart. It's not like God is up there reluctant and needs to be persuaded. It's not like after we beg and beg and beg, God says, fine, I will answer your prayer so that you will stop talking to me. That's not a father we serve. It's that passion and persistence. It's not that it changes his heart. It changes our heart. And when God recognizes our heart being changed, and when God recognizes us truly recognizing the need in our life, that's when that good Father answered those prayers. So that's what I learned about the Father, is that when I do my part, there's no doubt in my mind God will deliver on His. I think it's important to note that this parable is not trying to compare the individual in the house to God. Sometimes we encounter parables that we easily correlate God to one of the characters in the parable. Parable of the prodigal son, we relate God to the father in that parable. Parable of the laborers in the vineyard, we connect God with the owner of the vineyard. The parable of the sower, we, do, we, we connect Jesus with the sower. But here, God's not this guy in a house who's bothered by us coming to him with requests. This isn't trying to depict God in that way. Um, and so I think it's important to note that, that, that that's not a, a correlation that's being made here. And for me, the thing that stands out about the nature of our Heavenly Father that this parable seems to convey that's been hit on by these guys is just that he is good. Uh, Jesus himself would say in Mark chapter 10 and verse 18 and in Luke chapter 18 and verse 19 that no one is good except God alone. 
And the point that Jesus is making is he's holding God up as the standard of goodness. Just as we can go to 1 John chapter 4 and see that, that God is the standard of love, he's also the standard of all that is good. And that's why you have a passage like James chapter 1 and verse 17 that tells us every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God is the ultimate source of everything that is good. And as been read a moment ago, he's held up as a, a father who wants good for you. And, and for, so for me, I'm reminded in this parable that God is good. Um, and that brings us to a challenging question here. Because we read uh, in verses 9 and 10 where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And the question that, that I posed to these guys in advance was, is this passage telling us that all of our prayers are going to be answered positively? What do you guys think? I think it really depends on what you mean by positive. Um, because what we might see as a negative ultimately could have been the greatest positive that we could ever imagine. What I mean by that is someone once told me that when it comes to God answering prayers, uh, God answers our prayers in the way we would want him to if we knew all that he knew. And I'm going to say that again. God, when, when we pray to God, God answers our prayers in the way that we would want him to if we knew all the things that he knew. If we were able to see the things that he is able to see, if we were able to zoom out, out of our situation and see what it is we are praying for, that's how God answers our prayers. God knows how this answer to this prayer is going to affect the future. He knows how it's going to affect our children, how it's going to affect our spouses, how it's going to affect our families. He knows how these prayers are going to affect and that's how he answers them based off of. I don't know how many times I've prayed for something that I am grateful to this day. It never happened. I prayed for, for something or someone in some situation that I'm thankful to this day God didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted him to. Because God knew things that I did not know. That's how God answers prayers. When we pray things, God is not, when he says no, that isn't necessarily a negative. When he says no, it could be the greatest positive that we won't be able to understand in the moment. When God says no sometimes, that's sometimes the best way he could have possibly answered that prayer. And we see that in scripture sometimes also. And so I, I, I think it really depends on how we look at positive. I think God always answers our prayers positive. It's just that we don't understand the positive because we can't. Because we're so busy looking at this, we can't see past our own hands. We've missed the forest for the trees, so to speak. And so I think God always answers our prayer positively. But I think maybe a, a, a harder question is how do we deal with it when we don't understand that positive? When all we can see is negative. When all we can see is, is, is a big, fat no stamp on that prayer. Time and time again, no matter how passionate we are, no matter how persistent we are, all we see is that big no. 
And I think when we face those moments, that can either be the greatest point for our faith to show itself. It can be the greatest point for us to build our faith, or it can be the greatest point to wreck our faith. When we see the suffering, when we have a medical diagnosis, and we pray for things, and seems and things continuously seem to not go the way, it, how could this possibly be positive? That can either build our faith or wreck it. And tonight, I, I, I want to talk about verses 9 through 13. Remind you that when you face those moments, when you face those moments that you don't understand how this could possibly be positive, understand that you have a Father who is doing everything He can to open doors for you, to give what you ask, to give you understanding for the things that you seek, and to treat you like a child, like His own child. And hopefully that can build our faith when we are in the midst of suffering. It can build our faith when we are in the midst of not understanding what's going on. We have a Father that's doing everything He can for us. Uh, let me say, uh, in line with what uh, Brother Ben said, you know, that's why Jesus said the model prayer first. I mean, let's look at the model prayer. Uh, Father, hallowed be uh, your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we, ourse uh, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, lead us not into temptation. Everything is spiritual. Okay, even the thing uh, about, the, about uh, the prayer about the daily bread is just daily bread, it's what we need, not for the luxurious life, just for need. Our our bodily need, our, you know, our, our physical need. So if we pray for these things, then I believe, I'm sure that God will answer every time to our prayers. Why, why do we think that uh, our prayers are not answered? Sometimes we ask, ask God to give us something like a blazer to a baby. Money or luxurious things and something that I cannot handle, something that can poison, us my, uh, I mean poison my life, my salvation. God, as the merciful Heavenly Father who knows everything about us, would He give us those dangerous things to us even if we you know, persistently ask him to give us? No. We, even though we are not perfect as fathers or mothers, we would never give our children those things. So that's, you know, that's what we have to uh, look at. And I mean, we have to learn in this parable, not only the parable, but, but also in the context. That's why Jesus gave us the model prayer first. This is the thing that we have to pray for every day, every moment. And it is all for our salvation and for our just basic life. 
You know, the only thing I really can, I think, that can be added to this, just to echo the two great answers from that, I think about Romans 8, 26-28, when it comes to the importance of the prayers that coincide with the will of God and what the Spirit does inside of all of this. I'll read that very quickly. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So again, just to echo what the two men have already said, God's always going to answer positively. We may just not see that positive. God's always going to give us what we truly need. We, not, we may not be able to see that at, at that moment, but there's still good things being done. You know, and I think... Uh going back to the model prayer as, as Mingu was talking about, there's one line in the model prayer in Luke that is specifically, that is in Matthew that Luke does not include. It comes after that phrase, your kingdom come. And in Matthew's account, it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's uh, a key element to our prayer lives is that in every facet of the things we request or ask for or seek, we do it according to his will. We ask, as Jesus did in the garden, for your will to be done. And it makes me think of a passage over in James chapter 4, in verse 3, where James said, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I think that's something that Mingu was trying to allude to, is that when you're asking for things uh, that are based on your passions, the things that you want, not the things that you need, the things that are for your will, not his will, then you're asking incorrectly. And I, I think the underlying assumption that Jesus is uh, casting on his statement about asking, seeking, and knocking is that it's always consistent with the will of God. What you ask for, what you seek, what you knock for has to be in accordance with the will of God in order to receive it. And so ultimately it goes back to this idea that God will always answer positively, but it's never going to be outside of his will. And with that, let's uh, take a quick moment. We've got a, a few minutes left. What's a big takeaway you have from this parable that we haven't talked about yet? I think uh, ultimately I'm not satisfied with my prayer life. And uh, if I were to ask everyone to, that's, that's, that's just perfectly satisfied with their prayer life, if I were to ask everyone to raise their hand, I'm sure there will be very few, if any, who would just be like, I, am, I have made it when it comes to my prayer life. And so I, I think the lesson from that is if we ever want to get close to the example of Jesus, it's parables like this. It's times like this in the Gospels that we can go to that example. He says, I have come that you might have an example. We come to texts like this and better understand how to get there. I, I'm, I'm woefully disappointed in my prayer life. But I know if, if I go to Jesus and I go to, to learn from Him that I can get better. And I, ultimately, the, the, the first step in growing your prayer life, growing my prayer life, 
the first step is understanding God better. Because once you understand God the way Jesus understands Him, you will quit treating Him like Santa Claus. Once you understand God the way Jesus understood Him, you will understand that He's your Father and you're His child. And you won't be talking to this friend at midnight that picks and chooses when He loves you and when He gives to you. You'll be talking to your Father who wants nothing more than to bless you, to give to you, to open doors for you, and all the things that the text talks about. That's the biggest takeaway for me is, number one, I've got to get better in prayer. And number two, to do that, I've got to understand God better. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of that's the same, I think, for all of us. Anytime you look at prayer, it's going to be a personal challenge to step your prayer life up. You know... I think one of the biggest things I'm taking away from this, this, this parable is going back to that, fir- that first question in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. And just the idea that the greatest need isn't to master some technique. The greatest need is just simply to pray, just to pray more and to pray more and more. And so I think that's something that, and then, then stepping into the parable, the fact is the man that needed the bread late at night, knew that he was going to be waking up his friend, knew that this was, a, this was an odd out, this was a terrible timing, but the urgency of his need was so great, he still went and asked. And so I think the challenge that I, t- I take away from this is I need to be asking, seeking, and knocking more. Just something very similar to what you said in that sense, that uh, it's not about my technique, it's not about anything like that, it's just that I need to be analyzing what are my greatest needs, how can I ask, seek, and knock that from my father? I think um, this prayer, the model prayer, uh, is about salvation. So forgive us our sins and also lead us not into temptation. So that's the thing that we have to pray all the time. Forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. And I think um, this study uh, reminds me of this, the importance of this prayer again. All right. Well, we, we appreciate your uh, attention and studying along with us. And uh, at this time, let us go to God in prayer as we wrap up our, our worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day and another opportunity to come and study your word. And we are especially thankful that Uh, We can uh, learn from the teachings and example of your Son. May we never take that for granted. And Lord, as we reflect on what he had to say about prayer, uh, may may it affect us, and, and may we all seek to improve our prayer life just as the disciples did when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Lord, we thank you for this method of communication. We are grateful to you that you want to hear from us. We are humbled by that fact. And Lord, we ask for your blessings on us to pray more and more each day. May we be persistent. May we be bold. And Lord, may we always recognize who it is that we are speaking to. We love you, Lord, and it's through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.